compression. I wouldn't have known if you had. You wouldn't have known about compression. No. What would what 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 would you be thinking it was? What what would I think what was? Exactly. <laughs> it's eight forty seven a.m. Saturday, March the twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane show. <laughs> yeah. How did it get to be March twenty seventh already? I don't know. The idea that it's going to be April next week is a little that's daunting. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. It's not supposed to work that way. It's supposed to be slower, <laughs> measured. You're supposed to notice. You know. Well, it's, I think we're noticing the time is going by. Well, I mean, you're supposed to notice more about it as it goes. And instead of suddenly, you know, it's like you're always, I'm always being brought up against the fact that what happened to the last four weeks, you know. I agree entirely. Do you, Diane? Do you think that there's a, a quantum physical element to all of this, that things are, in fact, compressing, <laughs> as we were saying earlier, time itself, perhaps? I'm sure there's a quantum physics element of it that I would not understand in any way, shape, or form. Uh, just as I don't understand yeah, it, compression. Right, but isn't it enough to just just knowing it's there? Doesn't that help? Isn't there some small comfort in knowing? I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. There's probably a scientific explanation for what we're experiencing, you know. Yeah, ham and eggs. That's what we'd like to think. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's comfort food for the mind. It's like... Give me, let me have just this little piece of, of uh, supposed knowledge, even if it's imaginary, just for a moment. Golly, it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, hasn't it? Pardon me, I'm having a drink of coffee. As per usual, over to you, Diane. Please. You, boy. Help me. That's good coffee. Please. Make it go away. Comfort food for the mind. I think that that's been what I've been trying to do recently. Yeah. Yeah. Comfort food for the mind. Well, I, I think I might have mentioned last week that I was going to start this life coaching thing with my friend Shelly. Yeah. And I'm really excited about it because the main reason why I'm doing this life coaching is because I had something in mind when she told me she was on her way for doing this as a partial profession, I was thinking, oh man, that would really help me in this piece of my journey, which is planning out my retirement. And it isn't that I don't know what to do. It's just that I have not been focusing on it. And it's also because you're wondering about the parts of it that frighten you. Well, and that's the whole thing. And what what the roots of that are. Because I have been thinking for a while I read this really wonderful book about retirement that was not about the financial aspects of it but about what you do with your time you know that mm-hmm. that it's best to have some ideas about the fact that you are not going to be in a endless vacation that you would like to pursue other things okay. so what are those other things that you want to pursue right. and they had this this I, I just really enjoyed it. They had a get a life tree. Uh, it's basically that you would describe in one column 
the things that you loved to do when you were a kid and you just naturally loved to do. There, there were things that you're, uh, one column that you're currently doing, things that you're, um, you're spending your days doing now. Yeah. Another column of things that you would like to uh, try that you've never tried before. And then another thing that was just about ways to keep physically fit. So it was a, a idea that's really, when I read the book, which was about a year ago, um, or maybe more, I was so intrigued by doing that, but I just haven't been doing it to that great an extent of really writing it out. Because part of the thing is that when I retire, I want to to kind of have a schedule to my days, you know. So, but as I was talking to Shelly, I said, but the main thing that I need to do is deal with this piece of my feelings that are very visceral that are not my cogn my cognition about retirement, but my visceral feelings about fear of retiring. Right. And, you know, I was talking to Tim about this a little bit because I was telling him I was doing this, your dear friend Tim. And he was telling me that, he said, well, it's not just you and not just at your financial bracket. He said, I've had conversations with some um, I was conversing with a doctor and he had retired and I was asking him how he was feeling about it. And he said that he was really having problems with the, you know, the whole idea that all your life you've been saving money for this time. And the tipping point when you start spending all the money you save was really weird for him, even though he had no financial issues. Right. But anyway, so I had this idea of how I wanted to proceed, and I basically am asking Shelley to basically just keep me on track, you know, be a audience member for what I discover, be a, a cheerleader in the background to keep be me a going. reason for you to be yeah. journaling about this because you're going right. to be telling her, yeah. So I started last week um, on this and realized very quickly that the thing that I needed to do was explore why I have these financial fears and thoughts. Because I really do believe that our ideas about survival are made up of all the stories that we heard in our families. And I was talking to my cousin Richard last night because I wanted to ask him, his, his father was a lot more forthright about my uncle's and my mother's childhood than my mother was. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get a little bit of information from him. And it was so fascinating talking to him because I realized it's not just stories, it's things that surround you in your home. For example, he was talking about how there was a lot of food insecurity in his father, even though his father was a millionaire by the time, you know, all this was happening. And yet he had lived through such a, a kind of harrowing experience yeah, when he was a kid yeah. uh, that it just affected him the rest of his life. So the food insecurity was a big thing. And he said, my father always had tons of food in the cupboards and and it made me think of my mom's house when we were 
clearing out like cans of things that had long expired. But it was this bulk behind the the current, you know, it was sort of like, well, there's all this food, even though you wouldn't have been able to eat it. Cupboards are never bare. Yeah. So it has been really a fascinating point of reference to explore your ancestors. What is going on with these people? And when I started just listing out the traumatic things that had happened to my parents and my grandparents, and that's all, all I know about, right. but all the things that they had to get through within one lifetime, it was astonishing to me. You know, I just felt like, wow, these are, are people who are really, I was kept thinking about the Wheel of Fortune um, tarot card that basically is showing that these people are going up and down in the in their riches and poverty and and I was thinking they had far more of a a turn of the wheel than I ever did of loss and gain and loss and gain and because of the things that were going on in their in their time. generations yeah. the depressions the world wars you know my grandparents went through two world wars and so it was it's been actually a really wonderful way to kind of connect all the facts that I had discovered during my my forays into the ancestry world, you know, just getting your family tree. The more that you understand where your ancestors have been, the more you kind of see what has been affecting you yeah. all these years. Where those stories came from. Yeah. yeah. So that has been, uh, I mean, yesterday I, I went back into Ancestry. I kind of dip in and out of a membership with that, depending on what I'm doing. And, and just looking at the, the family tree from a different point of view of, for, for some reason, I never focused on the fact that my grand, both my grandmothers got married when they were 20 years old. They were having kids when they were 22, 23. You know, that, that is, you know, my own view of myself as a 20-year-old or looking at my younger generation friends or your kids. I feel like, wow, that's young. <laughs> yeah, my mom got married, I think, when she was 21. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting stuff. And it really is the origin story of a lot of the attitudes that in us are like are like animal responses they're like they're like so built into us genetically that you know we're feeling them before we realize anything you know before we even realize it they just are automatic little triggered triggers in us that get set off and surprise us you know i've been thinking well, a lot about that in terms of in terms of our behavior and buried emotion that's part of what I've been thinking about and writing about this week is, you know, stuff that we repress for seemingly healthful reasons at the time, uh, but then comes out inappropriately in out-of-context moments. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that you and I have gone through in our communi- communication, those kinds of things that, that for whatever reason are not fully uh, felt 
as they're happening, they kind of get pushed down and then they come out. They get, they get triggered by something unassociated with them and cause disruption down the road. Well, and that's what, uh, that, that was uh, part of the reason why I've done this is because you and I have had this kind of communication for a long time, which has revealed to me that a lot of the things that you may feel are not, uh, they may not be true anymore. In the moment, yeah. In the moment. But there is something back there somewhere yeah. that causes you to have this feeling uh, in a moment that's not associated with it, you know, so... It's interesting stuff to unpack, and it's it's very revelatory. Well, and it was quite interesting to talk to my cousin Richard and find out that his father had exactly the same kind of fears as my mom, even though my uncle did incredibly well financially in his life. And my mom, we, we were just, you know, middle-class folks, right. you I know. Mean, it's like Tim was talking about with the doctor right you know. exactly so to it watch matter that the scale you're dealing with yeah. you're always going to have that nagging worry about will it be enough but you don't know where that that question comes from in your life but if you go back and you relive those stories and then find out the roots and the reasons for the stories themselves you can kind of fill some of that stuff in well and also in a way, you always are making up a story about your ancestors because you've only got the skeletal bits. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with your parents, right? Right. Like you wrote this this wonderful poem that I I just think is phenomenal. I did. Yes. Just about the one, though. The secret. Yeah. I keep. Yeah. And basically, the no, you've written so many. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but the reason why that was so such a powerful poem to me is that you're basically, in the poem, talking about something that's true for us all, that we don't really know our parents' stories, in a way. I mean, you're saying it for being a father and having, that there's a secret you keep, right? Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and it's not even a secret that you necessarily want to keep, but there's reasons why you must. Well, that's the same way I think it is with our parents. I mean, there's stunning revelations throughout my life mm-hmm. of who my parents were that totally were not what I thought that they, you know, I had them as these godlike creatures in my mind <laughs> that had no worries or no concerns that matched mine and it's just it's just so fascinating as you as things are revealed about your parents that you go wow really i never knew you know mm-hmm. but i was thinking about my my grandfather who i never met because he had died when my mom was 3 and when I was looking at his history, his whole life story within, you know, he was only 33 when he died. So I always thought about him as a mysterious person in general anyway. And through the ancestry, I found out lots of stuff about him. And one of the things I realized as I was reading his history is that his father died 
when his father was 51 and my my grandfather was 26 when his father died and then he got married that same year when he was 26 and I so I'm extrapolating things from your life about what it feels like to have your father die when you're a young person maybe it wasn't at all that way back then maybe that was kind of anticipated back then that yeah. your your parents might die young or whatever but but it's interesting to fold in the stories that surround you and to imagine maybe some of the same emotions might have been going through that person at the time right but who knows you really don't know you don't know you just are are making but up you know stories how, but you know how you react to these stories and you know in uh, what they call up in you, and you're part of the same genetic uh, tree as that person, so perhaps you can kind of speculate on what their reactions might have been based upon your own, simply because you're made of, out of the same stuff to some degree. Uh, it's been a fascinating exploration because yeah. one of the things that I've always enjoyed asking other people is, what, what were the sayings that you heard around your house? Because there were sayings that I heard repetitively in my youth that are actually, you don't realize it, but it kind of becomes your mantra. So, for example, one of the things that constantly goes through my mind is a saying that my mother told me her mother had said, which was better to buy good food than medicine. You know, that it's better to eat nutritious good healthy food than purchase cheap stuff and have to to uh take medicine to take medicine compensate to for compensate it. for it yeah. and i always thought wow what an incredibly smart thing that was yeah. that it was sort of like and from so long ago yeah well no it's not that but, I mean, but there's that aspect but that that carries on yeah. and uh, sayings from my grandfather the, um, that I always remember that my father said. And it's usually that they are telling you what their parents said. It's sort of like, well, my father said. Yeah. And they're trying to say something to you through what they heard from their father. And my grandfather was a sheet metal worker. That was his trade. And he had his own company um, with a partner. But he told my father, once you get sawdust in your cuffs, you'll never get it out, which was once you start down that blue collar route, you better be sure you want to be on it because you'll never get out of it. Hmm. And my father did not do that. And so, but he said that to us. And another thing that he said was that my grandfather would say, if everybody cleaned off their own stoop, the whole world would be clean. And, you know, it just, I think you sort of honor those sayings because they came from your grandparents through your parents. At least that's the way I feel about them. Mm -hmm. But I realize another thing that my grandfather had always said is never be on the dole, which is welfare. So all those things, hearing them throughout my young years have established a certain kind of thought pattern in me mm -hmm. and 
I just think it's the most marvelous activity at this point in my life to explore all those foundational blocks that started my whole life off. And so it's been quite a... An interesting activity. For yeah, the, especially when you're at the point where you know you've spent a lifetime filling up a bucket, and now you're going to start emptying it out. Yeah, that's a big, that's a a, a huge shift in consciousness. Yeah, it's a, it's a threshold that everybody pretty much has to cross in some one way or another. Well, and it's so strange because it's sort of like all of your life, mm-hmm. you have been working, and then all of a sudden you're talking about not working i mean it's it's more from the working for a living right. that i have been working since i was i don't know 15. 24 well i i have been working but not for a living but i think i started working for a living when i was 24 that i had to uh, because when i got out of college i was very sincere to my parents that i did not want them to help me anymore i thought they had done their bit it's right. time for me to pick up and uh, so I've lived this on this teeter-totter that we all are on since that time. Or I should say it's more like a tightrope, you know, because you're constantly just trying to keep the balance. Well, then you get to this point where you're in a good sense of balance and you have that capability, if you've, like me, that yeah. you have the possibility of a pension. And that's, but it doesn't negate the fact that you've been working all your life. Right. It doesn't take any of those messages out of your head. It doesn't free you from the stories yeah. you were told as a child. It doesn't break that, uh, that through line that, that continues to affect you, you know. It's pretty interesting. It's nice to have the, uh, the luxury of being able to try to gain perspective on those kinds of things, you know, at this point in life especially. And I, I have to say... As a, as a participant and mostly as an observer of you, I am just in awe of how you organize. You know, organization is your art form. I mean, it's what you're trying to do. You're trying to organize your future. Yeah, that's you are. true. You're trying to organize your future by organizing the, uh, the visceral <laughs> qualities in your body that have these automatic reactions. You want to organize that history in a way that it, it kind of releases you from that in your in that in your viscera uh, so that you can move forward into what you have organized as what's going to be your day-to-day life after retirement you know and I just I got to tell you I, you know it's it endlessly fascinates me just watching you do these little processes that you do because uh, because it, because it is your art form you always seem to ask the right question the right person to help you falls into your life at the moment. You know, it's, it's like true. everything is has been so organized that you always get the help you want when you want it, and you and you know what questions you want to have answered. It fills in the correct blanks, allowing you to move. It's just it's unbelievable. I've never seen this before. You're like a force of nature that I, <laughs> that I am that I am standing in awe of. It's like watching a. a big mountain it's like el capitan <laughs> watching you know angel falls or something like that it's like how did how did, could that have ever happened you know how could there because i'm just not like that i'm just not like that and it and it's it's fascinating to me the things that fascinate you in this process 
even though those things hold very little fascination for me, it is fascinating to watch you be fascinated. So I want to thank you for that because, you know, you make my life very rich simply by sitting here doing yours. Well, I think it's whatever your, for example, for you, the, the healing power is through poetry. And for me, the healing power is researching what I fear. Right. If I fear something, I'm going to research it. For and me, I'm I gonna feel like figure this, it this out. sense of the, where I get comfort is in releasing myself from the idea of organization. You know? Yeah. It's like just being out there and collecting things as they come rather than having a purpose in mind, you know? It's like par- the process of writing for me is letting go of expectation or, you know, plans or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So it's a different kind of a engagement altogether. Let's and see, this is why I, I was so excited about having Shelly as my life coach because I think she lives that way more too. Mm-hmm. And in a way, because when I worked with her, uh, she was the person who hired me at ABC yeah. and, and I worked on a project with her. And it was amazing because my sense of organization and her sense of kind of free-floating, free-floating uh, ideas, yeah. we would look at each other sometimes and just laugh and say, it's like we've got a whole brain now, between you us, know, yeah. between us, we've got a whole brain. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the way I feel about you. I feel like we balance each yeah. other's, because if you get with somebody who's just like you, then you... Uh, you don't have the right tools for the other side. Mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like it's a, a magical type of thing where you could watch the other person's differences in exactly. that. As an ongoing form of entertainment yeah. <laughs> as well as engagement. You know? But the, the other thing I wanted to say is about Carl Jung um, yeah. because I I read his wonderful autobiography as did you and uh, it was so wonderful but one of the things that really stuck with me from that was that he was he was fascinated by the fact that some of his long ago ancestors who he didn't know had some of his he found out that they had some of his same interests and hobbies Mm -hmm. and so he had this idea that you were kind of carrying on you had your own individual life, but it's almost like there was a question. I hope I'm uh, summarizing him accurately, but that there was a question that your family was asking that you are trying to incrementally carry You're forward. Participating in the search for the answer to that question. Yeah. And I feel like by delving into this, I'm kind of honoring that family question, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, all of us. I mean, when I think about this question, I really feel an honor in my heart for all of those ancestors that have gotten me to the point of being a person at all, just through their sheer survival, through, uh, through horrific circumstance. And it makes me feel like by exploring their stories in my mind that I am sort of giving my gratitude and my honoring, laying my, <laughs> my flowers at their feet in some way. 
um, just because even with your parents, you know, you don't really get to thank them in the way that you feel later when you can really understand what they've gone through through an entire lifetime, you know, mm-hmm. the the pain and um, and trouble that every person has gone through. But it seems like some people go through more intensely. And I, I feel like my, my family had a, a lot of intense trauma in the family. And yet they still were these amazing, bright, spirited, you know, joyous people mm-hmm. that had this shadow side, just like me. Yeah, but know? I mean, you know, because those people who were living through those times, they were just, it was just Tuesday. Yeah, I know. You know most well, time I know. it was just Tuesday. It was just normal life for them. In the same way, I mean, who knows how history will remember the pandemic, you know? Oh, exactly. And, uh, you and know, the people just... who lived through the hardship they suffered were going, you know. Well, right? it's, it's true. Just, it's just been, you know, but Tuesday. But it makes me think about Kat and her, her songwriting that it really got lit up when she started writing songs about her father's life in yeah. the Oklahoma Dust Bowl and it's just fascinating to me because I I feel like that's cats like laying the flowers at the feet of her ancestors right. you know right. there's all sorts of ways to do it yeah. and this just happens to be my way and playing music is another way to do it yeah speaking of which we got a couple of we got a couple of scratchy old records to play for people yeah Couple of scratchy old records. <laughs> what made you pick the one you picked? Oh, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, <laughs> I was thinking when you asked me about music today. I thought I really, I almost was going to say Cat's uh, um, song about the hundred dollar horse because right. I just love that so That's much. But I we played it actually a couple of times. I was on thinking the of show. Shiny Bright Silver Dollar, but yeah, Hitch, you know. But because of the topic that I'm dealing yeah. with, yeah. I was thinking about songs from the Depression and uh, because I feel like this period of time uh, is on my mind. You know, that the Depression, the Great Depression that my grandparents and my parents lived through affected their messages to me so much. So I just was looking at a list of Depression songs and one of the ones that came up was this one about a pension check. And I thought, oh, well, and so I listened to that. And I just thought, that's a perfect song. That's the new Lost oh. City Ramblers, right? Yes, yes, although there was one by Roy Acuff, too. I just like the new city, yeah. new Lost City Ramblers better. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, yeah, so the new Lost City Ramblers. And then I wanted to include uh, another scratchy record, Spade Cooley. So. Who is Mike Seeger? Because Mike Seeger is in the new... Yeah, I think he's might be Pete's brother. Oh, okay. I think there was Mike Seeger, and there's also Peggy Seeger, who is Pete's sister. Well, are the you, people are who are... Yeah, I wanted to see who were in this band, because it was Mike Seeger, John Cohen, and Tom Pally. What the, was it Pally or Paley? Paley, I don't know how to pronounce it. P A L E Y. P A L E Y, yeah. So, Mike Seeger, let's see. His half brother. Half brother of Pete Seeger. Seeger. There you go. 
I definitely want to look into him more because he produced more than 30 documentary recording, recordings and performed in more than 40 other recordings. He desired to make known the caretakers of culture that inspired and taught him. Wow! So he, he was like a... Isn't that an amazing tie-in to just what I was talking about? No, no, Diane, it is not. <laughs> but it's kind of groovy music. And what is the other song we're going to have? Spade Cooley singing Detour, which is a song I grew up listening to my dad sing. I'm not sure where he heard it from. He may have learned it from, uh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. But anyway, I just like this version of it because it's kind of sweet. And you sang it on the show the other day. Yeah, and I did. And I enjoyed it immensely when you were playing. So did other people. They were saying, I love this song. It's hearkening back to a different era. Scratchy Records, coming at you. When that old age pension jack comes to our door, we won't have to dread the poorhouse anymore. Though we're old and bent and gray, good times will be back to stay. When our old age pension check comes to our door When our old age pension check comes to our door Dear old grandma won't be lonesome anymore She'll be waiting at the gate Every night she'll have a date When her old age pension check comes to her door Detour, all these bitter things I find should have read 
got right to the place where it said about face. I thought all my worries were behind. But the further I go, the more sorrow I know. Should have read that detour sign. Detour, there's a muddy road ahead. Detour, paid no mind what it said. Detour, all these bitter things I find. Should have read that detour sign. Stuck in the mud, all my hopes drop with a thud. I reckon my heartstrings are made of twine. I got no willpower to get from the hole that I'm in yet. Should have read that detour sign. Detour, there's a muddy road ahead. Detour, paid no mind what it said. Should have read, Lord, should have read that detour sign.